Hey, good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. How are you? And uh, you're the second service, so we had a, a really full first service, and now a really full. We even have people in the front row. That's awesome. Look at that. Just a fabulous deal. Hey, uh, just one announcement this morning. A lot of you are aware of the Oso disaster and all that's going on, and that's going to be a long-term and uh, recovery. And uh, Dave Weed, who's our chairman, is also part of the Woodenville Fire Department, and he went up there at last week and was helping. Was it the week before? The week before. And uh, did some checking out of where, a lot of you have asked, if we wanted to give towards that, where would be the best place to give? And so as Dave went up there and I did some reconnaissance, the best place where we would tell you if you want to send funds is to the Oso Community Chapel. Pastor Gary Ray, great guy. Uh, he will be there for the long haul, long after the cameras, the photographers and reporters are long gone. Um, they'll be doing work for the king there in the in the community. So we'd encourage you to head that way. If you send some to us, we'll just mail them up there, right? But uh, we're going to give our support to the Oso Community Chapel. So we want to be aware of that. Hey, if you're, you're new, great to see so many of you. A lot of you are friends. I didn't even get to say hi to half of you. So uh, happy Easter to you. But uh, if you're new or visiting, just inside is a card and you can fill that out. And if you want us to know you're here and just drop it in the offering boxes along the wall. And if you want us to get in touch with you or you have some questions, we'd be glad to try and answer them. We hope that uh, your stay with us today is good and you felt like it was home. And if you want to make it home, we'll we'll help you do that. So uh, go from there. We have been uh, in a series called And It Shall Come to Pass. So if you're new this morning, let me just give you a a debrief on that because you'll need it to catch up this morning. What we've been looking at uh, since uh, just after the first of the year was uh, the festivals. And we looked at the Jewish festivals. We looked at the uh, ones held in the spring, which uh, uh, we went through all of them. I had to take time to go through them, but it included the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and it included Passover and the wave offering and then Pentecost. So those were the four spring feasts. And then we looked at the four the fall festivals, which um, are the Feast of Tabernacles or Trumpets, and then um, Yom Kippur, which is the holy day in the Jewish calendar, and then uh, Feast of Tabernacles, where literally they went on a camping trip with each other, uh, and God did it to uh, help them. Uh, Feast of Booths is, is what it was called. And so we looked at all those, and we, we talked about how uh, amazingly in those festivals there were all kinds of things hidden in terms of prophecies about the Messiah and how those came to pass. And if you want to know more about that, you can download some of the messages on the website and get that. But this morning, what we want to look at is, um, if we're talking about what we're doing this morning, what we're really talking about is the coronation of a king. We're talking about uh, someone entering into a role that uh, is beyond significance in terms of what we understand on a human level. And uh, in Revelation, it says this, verse 12, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's a lot of attributes put to one guy. So let's pray this morning before we go further. Father, as we come this morning, we've already had some great worships and great songs. And uh, Father, we have... uh, practiced or rehearsed singing to you and um, worshiping you. And as we go into your word, Lord, we're going to look at things that 
you laid out from a long time ago. And not only were those things going to come to pass, but the things you've talked about in the future will also. And so as we uh, spend time this morning, would you help us focus on that, help galvanize our attention, and help us understand what our response should be. And we give that to you with great hope in your name. Amen. All right. So one of the things we didn't do with the festivals, those of you who have, were here and heard the messages, is we didn't take the actual prophecies and go back and say, well, here's what some of the actual prophecies were. And uh, so we're going to do that this morning. And um, I'm going to put, there's going to be a date on the screen, and that will be from our time perspective. So you have to take that date and then subtract 2,000 years, and you would know how far that was spoken ahead of before Jesus showed up, all right? So we're going we're gonna to take a look at that this morning. Uh, this week has been a great week. We've had uh, a tremendous time. Last Sunday night, we had a, a worship service together, and we called it Exalted. And then on Thursday night, we did Monday Thursday uh, and did communion together. And then on, on Good Friday, we uh, used, on Monday Thursday, we used the theme uh, Grieved. And just what did Jesus carry in his heart as he went to the cross? And talked about the incredible weight uh, that was there. And then on Friday we used the theme stained. And what um, had happened to Jesus in the process of going to the cross. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the service. And then today we're talking about glorified. And so uh, those four themes all wrap up this morning. But we're talking about it shall come to pass. And where are these prophecies? What do they look like? So I'm going to take you back. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. So if you go back to the beginning, we go back 6,000 years. Right? 6,000 years. So 4,000 years before Jesus showed up. 6,000 years from our time right now today. And uh, we are... That's a long time. Just perspective. Just give, stretch your mind a little bit. America hasn't been a nation for 400 years yet. Right? So... If you're talking about America, we're less than 400 years. So we're talking about 6,000 years, right? 4,000 before Christ showed up. In Genesis, God is talking to the serpent and to the woman. This is after the fall, after the damage is done, after the stain has been um, imprinted and sin has taken over and now affects all of us. And talking about original sin and, and the debris field that we all battle with in life. God says, I will put enmity, that means strife or animosity, between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise you on the head, you shall bruise him on on his heel. And God was talking in this about his plan to bring someone that would be a redeemer, that someone that there was going to be a battle between Satan's forces and God's forces. And Satan would be able to, uh, it says here, bruise him on the heel but that he would bruise Satan on the head. In other words, that blow would be mortal. And so way back in the beginning, right when it happened, God did this. And he also did something else that was really significant. In the second verse there, it says, The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife's garments of skin and clothed them. And this is a story, you know it well. God went walking through the cool of the garden, and he said, What? Where are you? And they said, we're hiding. And this is like a great parent thing, right? They don't stop and just leave it at that. They've got to pursue it, right? 
teens, you know how that works. And, um, well, why are you hiding? Well, because we're naked. Well, who told you you were naked? Oops. Right? Just ask enough questions, you get enough chain to hang yourself, right? And that's what Adam and Eve did. And, he, and God said, well, who told you? And then he realized, did you eat? And yes, we violated. But in this process, God did something that was very symbolic. 4,000 years before Jesus ever showed up, 6,000 years from now, what he did is he killed some animals and made uh, coverings, garments for Adam and Eve. Symbolic of they couldn't cover themselves. They had no way to cover their shame. And so God made garments for them that would cover their shame. And God said, this is a symbol or representative act of what I will do in the future where I will clothe you again in a different way and you won't have to be ashamed anymore. Your sin will be covered. And so God was already kicking his plan of redemption into motion way back in the beginning here with Adam and Eve. If you go 4,000 years ago, uh, we're now in the book of Genesis. This is Abraham and Abraham believed God and God said it counted to him as righteousness. And he says, because of that, I will make you uh, make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you. I will curse and in all the families of the earth in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And God had taken Abraham outside and uh, this doesn't work in Seattle because there's too much light pollution. But like if you go to eastern Washington and Schland, that kind of, right? You go to at night, right? Just amazing stars. And God took Abraham out and he says, hey, look up at the stars. If you can number those, your descendants will be more than that. But he said, out of your descendants will come one, the seed, who is going to be the savior of the human race. One will come from you that is going to be uh, the deliverer. The sacrifice. And Abraham, actually, there was an object lesson that Abraham modeled with his son Isaac where he, God told him to go up on a mountain, take his son, and sacrifice his son. And Abraham was about to do it when God stopped it. And Abraham prophetically said, God himself will provide the lamb. And Abraham realized that God had used him as an object lesson 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Christ showed up, that a Savior would come from his seed. If we go 3,600 years ago, we go to Deuteronomy and we go to Moses. And God says to Moses, I am going to raise up for them, the Israelites, a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And God was talking to Moses at this point about one that he would raise up who would be like Moses. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us because we're hunky white Seattleites, right? So that doesn't, but to them that meant a lot because in the Jewish lexicon and lore, there is no one greater than Moses, all right? There's no one, if you talk about Moses, of all the prophets you go through, no one was like Moses, a man who was God's friend and spoke to God face to face. It was that idea. And God said, I am going to raise up one who will be like them for Moses. Okay? And this was a, they have been looking for that person ever since, not realizing they missed him in Jesus. If we go 3,000 years ago, we wind up in the Psalms. And the Psalms are loaded with prophecies and predictions about the coming Messiah. I just pulled two of them 
that you will recognize. So 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Jesus came, says this in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Understand and know those were the exact words Jesus said on the cross 1,600 years or 2,000 years later. Right? 2,000 years later is the exact words he used. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. It goes on with this description. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my mouth and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. That is an incredibly apt description of what happens to a person when they hang on the cross and the gravity pulls their joints out. 2,000 years before Jesus showed up. 3,000 years. Psalms are loaded with a lot more, but we don't have time this morning to go into that. We go 2,700 years ago or 700 years before Jesus showed up. We have this incredible description in Isaiah 53, of which I'll just read a piece this morning. It says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. On the Good Friday service, we talked about stained and how Jesus, who knew no sin, was holy, had never sinned himself, suddenly became stained. And I use some stories out of my life where I got stained by different things. And we just talked about, you know, something you ever get stained where it's gunky stuff and you can't get the smell off of you. And and just talked about how that sin came upon Jesus that way. And uh, we had Shannon in the back booth and there was nobody up front and we just had the cross and Shannon was reading the last part of Isaiah 53 and then chapter 53. If you've never read that, it is an incredibly descriptive biography of what Jesus walked through to the T. Amazing. 700 years before he ever showed up and Isaiah pegged it that closely. If we go 2,500 years ago, this one we're familiar with. We just celebrated this last Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday. We call it uh, the triumphal entry where Jesus comes in and comes on the back of a donkey. But did you realize that in the book of Zechariah, 500 years, remember, America's only four, less than 400, 500 years before he showed up, Zechariah penned these words. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus literally got on a donkey and came riding into the east gate of Jerusalem as the reigning king, but it said that they did not know who he was and they missed their time of his coming. But Zechariah pegged that, those exact words, 500 years before Jesus showed up. If we go 2,000 years ago, This one you're familiar with. We call this what? Christmas. This prophecy wasn't made by a human. This prophecy was made by an angel. Not just any angel, by the way. The angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel is one of the two angels that we really know about. We know there are many angels, but we don't know most of their names. 
right? The two names we know about, Michael and Gabriel, of which we know two are the chief angels. And Gabriel has come, been sent on assignment to speak to Mary about the birth of her son. And he says this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That was 2,000 years ago. That was 30 years as Jesus was a baby in the womb that this prophecy is laid out of who he would be. And notice what it says in this prophecy. It says, He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, in line with the throne of David and all the prophecies we just read to you that come out of the line of David, out of the Psalms, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be what? No end. No end. And so Gabriel was pronouncing something. And so then one of the questions this morning is, why are we thankful? Okay. Uh, I've often said that the sign of a really healthy church is a grateful church. Right? Because you, you can do a lot of things as a church, but if a church loses its gratefulness, just think about what goes out in the spirit of a church. If you're no longer thankful, if you're no longer grateful, um, everything starts to dry up. And so we asked the question this morning, what is it on Easter that we are actually, what should we be pumped up about? Is Easter just something that we work to hype up? Right? Yeah, Easter, okay, he's risen, he's risen indeed. Yeah, awesome, you know. Okay, next week. Right? Is it just one of those things that we get jacked up for, like a Seahawks game, you know, and then it's over? I want to suggest to you that it's, it's much more than that. What are we grateful for? Let me... Um, See if I can help connect this for you. In Galatians 3, it says this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so there's this passage here where it says, Everything was trapped under sin. The sin kind of became like a law or a tutor, right? Uh, many of you have done like uh, classes, like business classes or music lessons, right? And how many of the music lessons or kind of stuff, and you've been tutored in, in something, right? Well, here it's saying the law is a tutor, and the law teaches us. It starts way out here, and then as you start breaking different commandments, it starts wedging down a funnel and it works its way out till you get to the end and it's really narrow and really tight and you pop out and you realize your need of a Savior because you have no other way to deal with all of this. Now here's what's interesting about that. Most of us don't realize this funnel thing till we're in our 50s. And then all of a sudden we get really reflective and look back over our life and go, yuck, uh-oh, ouch. And we start feeling pressured and we're being chased by things. It happened 30 years ago and the funnel starts wedging down. Any of you ever felt that? Squeeze. I need you. Right? But here's what it's saying. Christ came to redeem us. We don't have to live cursed anymore. Why? Because he became a curse for us. We can now be forgiven. We can now be free 
because he took the hit for us. And so we don't have to live cursed. And that is great news. That is thankful news. And some of us need to hear that news because we are still living as if we're cursed. We are still living under the epithets thrown our way by parents or life experience or how somebody sinned against us. And we're just going in our brain and we talk very, very badly about ourselves. I won't even use the words or illustrations. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We talk and think as if we're cursed instead of that we are blessed. Why can we be thankful? Why should we be grateful? Why should we have joy? Because we no longer have to live as if we're cursed. If you look uh, here, this imprisoning, we no longer have to be imprisoned. Okay? And most of that has to do up here. We no longer have to be imprisoned. All right. We uh, want to show you this picture. We did Good Friday. Uh, it was a really, really neat service. And uh, what we talked about is stained. We talked about Jesus, the sinless one. Jesus who had never known sin, had never done sin, had never been around it, um, was pure. Uh, and that the fact that he became sin like us. Now, a lot of times... Sin is kind of a nebulous concept. How have you sinned? Oh, I've sinned a lot. Yeah, it's bad. It should be forgiven. That's awesome. You know, we keep it in real genuine terms. And so on Friday, I wanted to kind of blow through the wall of that. And so what we did is we came together and I got them to think about sin. I said, I want you to catalog sin. Go through your mental catalog of how you've sinned in your life. And while you're flipping through the catalog, okay, uh, for the present generation, would be downloading your hard drive, right? Catalog would be my generation. Um, but as you're downloading your hard drive and as you go through and look over the record and you see everything that's on there, I ask them this question. I want to make this really specific for you. And so I said to the crowd on Friday night, what would you catalog as your worst sin? Not the medium ones, not the middle. What's the worst one? What's the one that you go, ugh? What's the one you'd wish you never do? What's the one you wish 10,000 times over you could undo and had never even gotten close to it? I said, what would you catalog as your worst sin? And then we had uh, uh, three minutes of silence. And I don't know how you are, but three minutes of silence for most Americans, but you know, you start getting edgy at 15 seconds, Right? 30 feels like, you know, and you're in a funeral home somewhere. You get to a minute, it feels like a death sentence, right? Just somebody talk or burp or something. I mean, it makes, right? We just can't handle silence. And it was agonizing in that room because the question that was left them with is what's your worst sin? As you stand before Jesus, as you stood before God, what would you say is your worst sin? And you could, you know how you can sometimes feel it in the room? You could feel that weight. They were wrestling with that. And then what we had was we had the blowing of the shofar, the, the, the ram's horn. And, uh, and that was kind of eerie because it just sounded like the judgment call, right? The final trump. And then what we had was up here we had tables, uh, two tables put together in a black cloth. And then on the cloth was a linen shroud, much like you see up on the cross right there. Pure white, laid on the cross. And then what we had was we had bowls of uh, red tempura paint. And then we had brushes. And when the ram's horn sounded, 
We had given instructions, and when they felt ready, the offering was on the table to come forward, and in remembrance of that, we're sin to dip the brush in the blood and stroke the paint on the white, pure trough. After that was done, we sang the song, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And while we were singing that, Brooks and Wilson hung the shroud on the cross and it looked something like that. And there was a light on it and you can see that and it was that was the light in the room. There was no other light in the room. And so all you looked at was the cross. And you realized your worst sin was hanging on that tree. What's the good news in that? Let me give you an out so you don't so you don't think I'm uh, wrecking your whole Easter here, okay? Here's the out. If your worst sin was hung on that cross, then all your other sins are covered too. He died for all of them. Not just the medium ones, not just the little ones. We died for the worst ones. The ones you know you're guilty of. The ones you know, if you had to stand in front in a court of heaven and you were standing there before the court of heaven in, a, in, in court and they came out and they started running a trial on you, you would not be able to talk your way out of it. That's hung on that tree. And why is it good news? Well, here's why it's, it's good news. In Isaiah, going back again, God says this, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. In other words, this becomes that. For us too, not just for Him. And so when you think of Easter, when you think of the offer, if you think of the promise, what's on the table? What has built hope over 2,000 years? What has set people in motion towards a love relationship with Jesus? What's set them in motion um, to make Him Lord and to give up the control of their life? Well, it's this concept that my worst stuff can get washed and can be clean, that I can be innocent again, that I don't have to live cursed, I can live clean. Uh, Romans says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What is Easter? Easter's an opportunity. Easter's a telegram. Easter's a email. Easter's a Snapchat. Easter is a call out from the kingdom of heaven. Call on my name. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus and what? You will be saved. It says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. Why that? Well, that's easy. Don't you talk about what you love? I do. Right? I, I, my mouth reflects what's going on in my heart. Unfortunately, so many times. Have you ever had something come blipping out of your mouth that you didn't want to come out of your mouth? And you went, oh, oh, oh I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did. You've been rehearsing it in your heart for three weeks. You just didn't expect your trap to fly open and it all comes spilling out. All right? Your heart reflects what you are 
dwelling on inside. And so therefore it says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, why? Because you don't confess stuff that you don't have in your heart. And maybe if Jesus' name never comes out of your mouth, it's because he's not really anchored in your heart as well. And what's Easter? Easter is a tremendous opportunity to say, I'm going to reverse that. I'm going to reverse that. I'm going to put Jesus at the center of my heart. And you may be here today, you may be first time friends, or you may have been wrestling with this for a long time. And you're there and everybody thinks you're there, but you're not there. Right? You've been wrestling with it a long time saying, where, where do I stand really? Am I all in with Jesus? Or is this just, uh, you know, a Sunday thing and I hope we have a good lunch today and a good celebration with the family, which, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you get the meal and you miss the king, you've missed the whole thing. And so here's how it works. If you're sitting there and this is connected with you, you can say, you know, Lord, I, I, I'm tracking what, what Pastor Steve said. I've been sitting on the fence for a long time. Kind of one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom, kind of dabbling on both sides. And the truth is that isn't working out really well. And I'm really afraid to move one way or the other because if I know, move towards the world, I know I'm in deep weeds. But if I move towards you, I'm terrified of what it would look like if I gave the control of my life over to you. And so I'm, I'm trying to hang on to the middle, but this fence is getting pretty sharp and pointed and I'm going to have to move. How would you move? What you would say is, you know what, Lord? I make a great me. I make a lousy God. For a long time, I played God. And the truth is, that's your role. And the truth is, it doesn't work if we're wrestling and punching and boxing each other, trying to decide over who's the boss right now. The reality is, you're the boss. And I need to confess that in my heart, that I need to give up control to you. I need to confess that, that I need you as a Savior. I need to confess that, that I live, I feel cursed, and I can't get out of it under my own power. I need you to wash my sins. I am dirty, but I want to be clean. And I can only be clean if I come to you and ask you to come into my heart. And if I give up the control of my life and by faith place my confidence and call on you to save me. Then it says, not only everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but it says, no one who calls on the name of the Lord will be put to shame. And I'm going to ask you to bow your eyes right now. Would you just get alone in your own private world uh, without the people around you? Where are you this morning? Is Easter good news? Or do you still live cursed inside your head? Lord Jesus, this made sense to me today. I need to quit fighting that battle. I, quit, I need to quit living as if I'm cursed. And I need to live as if I'm forgiven and cleansed and washed. And the only way that can happen is if I bow the knee and confess you as Lord and Savior. What better day to do that than Easter Sunday on the anniversary of his resurrection for what he did for us. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would come into my life. I ask that you would save me. I give the control of my life over to you. 
And I agree to follow your lead. And I ask this in your name. Amen. All right. If anybody process that on that level this morning, come up after the service and talk to me and I'd be glad to talk to you and glad to help you out. So let's go take that step a little farther because this morning then the question is, well, what is Easter then? What are, what are we actually celebrating? What, why do we do, you know, every Easter? It's, is Easter just like birthday parties and anniversaries? And, you know, does it just go on and on forever? And does it just kind of keep rolling, that kind of thing? I want to take you to Daniel. This would, Daniel would be about um, 500 years before Jesus' time, 2,500 years before our time. So again, one of those prophecies that goes way back. This was 2,500 years ago. 500 years before Jesus. But Daniel says this, and he had a vision and a dream, and here's what it, the dream he saw. He says, I, And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man, The Son of Man was a title Jesus wore as one of his names. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. We know a lot of governments and we know a lot about kingdoms. And we know what? They all fall apart. Okay? We are in the middle of the United States falling apart right now, in case you hadn't noticed. All right? Just thought I'd give you the heads up. All right? It's talking about one who would come like the Son of Man. And he would approach the Ancient of Days. That's the Son approaching the Fathers. And he would be given a kingdom. And that kingdom, in that kingdom, all peoples and nations and languages would serve him. And his dominion would be an everlasting dominion. In other words, it would go on without end. It would not end like other uh, rules or governments that we know about. So what is today when we talk about this? By the way, you'll find this passage paralleled in the book of Revelation. Right? John, 500 years later, sees another vision, writes down the vision, and if you compare John's and Daniel's, it's like, whoa, bookends, hello. Okay? 500 years apart. Won't that be funny when John and Daniel meet each other in heaven? Like your writing, dude. Yeah, you know? You didn't think that was funny? I thought that was good. Okay. So what is today? Today's a dress rehearsal. Okay? It's a dress rehearsal. We, we do, we practice important things. So, for example, my, my son is going to be in a play. As a matter of fact, a number of the kids in the church are going to be in a play next week, right? Next Saturday. And uh, they've been doing rehearsals. And then there will be the dress rehearsal, which is what? The big rehearsal before the event because you want to make sure you get it right. You want to get the timing down. You want to get all the entrances so that when it comes to the actual play, it goes off the way it's supposed to. We do that with weddings all the time, right? We call them uh, rehearsals, right? We have a rehearsal dinner night. And what do we do? We go through and... Go through the ceremony so everybody knows where it should be. It's really good if the bride knows where she's supposed to be standing. It's nice if the groom shows up on time. All right? It's nice if people know what they're supposed to do so, so it doesn't just happenstance because this is such an important thing. We do what's called a dress rehearsal. Right? We get it down so that when the actual thing happens, it comes off without a hitch. And people go, whoa, it's beautiful. That was fantastic. What a wedding. You ever heard that before, right? Well, that's what we're doing this morning. We've been 
practicing as a church for 2,000 years all these things that have been predicted and prophesied. All the ones that the prophecies said that Jesus would come and he came, but then all the ones about his second coming, his second advent when he would come back again. So you have all the prophecies that said it shall come to pass about the first one. And what I want to tell you this morning, if all those fulfilled themselves, then all these will match as well. If you take just nine prophecies out of the Old Testament and the odds that one person would fulfill them, it's one to the 10 to the 17th power. That's 10 with 17 zeros behind it. That's a lot of zeros. Okay? Wish you had that in your bank account, don't you? If you take all 61 major prophecies that were laid out and one person would fulfill them, it's one to the 10 to the 127th power. That's a 10 with 127 zeros behind it. That's a lot of zeros. And what I'm saying is if these were fulfilled with that kind of precision, do you not believe that all the ones that they talk about in a second coming would not be fulfilled with the exact same precision? What we're doing is a dress rehearsal. That's why we need to do it well. That's why we do Easter. That's why we dress up. That's why I'm dressed in purple. Why? Because it's the son of royalty, right? I was dressed in red Friday night for stain. I'm dressed in purple this morning for royalty. Why? Because we're practicing a dress rehearsal. One day, we will not be in this building. One day, we will actually be at heaven in the throne, the court of heaven, and we will be standing together doing the actual ceremony of the crowning of the king. Till that time, what are we doing? We are practicing... The rehearsal. We're practicing the coronation. Uh, Pam and I uh, went to a movie last night. Uh, what we did in the afternoon was uh, we took off with our kids. Well, not all our kids because we're at the stage of life where half the kids go that way and what's left, we go do something, right? And uh, so we had Abby and Matt with us. And uh, so we went and saw Captain America. Well, when we purchased the tickets for Captain America, by the way, it was fun. And, uh, but we got a free movie ticket. We said, Awesome. So we said, let's go dump the kids at home and go see another movie. Yes, date night. Oh, it's fabulous. And so that's what we did. We brought them back home and then we went out. Of course, we had dinner together. And then we went and we went and saw the movie Heaven is for Real, which comes from the book Heaven is Really Real. And it's the, it's the story of the Burple family and Colton Burple. And Colton was four years old and uh, he had... Uh, appendicitis attack and almost died on the operating table. In the process, he went to heaven and Jesus told him all these different things and he saw angels and all that. So when he comes back, his parents are talking and he starts telling them things that they couldn't possibly know, that he couldn't have known. Not, not, not just he, but average person wouldn't have known, but a, certainly a four-year-old couldn't have known. And I'm not going to blow the story for you, so you can go see the movie. I, absolutely fabulous. You'll come away. But one of the interesting things in that movie was the drama. And I think it's a little bit Hollywood, right? I think they built in a little more than it's supposed to. But was the skepticism among the adults and, hey, you're wrecking our church with all these heaven stories, right? And kind of, we got to get back to just doing church. And isn't that true sometimes that we forget why we do church? And the church is about aiming at heaven and getting ready for that ceremony instead of it's not about us. And so in the movie, they kind of play that out a little bit. And I looked at Pam and said, what's the big deal? That's why we're doing it, all this stuff. And 
I was like, no, that's exactly why. Because the stuff he's telling you about is real. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It's not just something that was put together and strung together by ancient people who were, um, you know, primitive. And they came up with mythology because they didn't understand science. We're talking about someone who rose from the dead and will be coronated the king of the universe. And therefore, we got to get ready. Therefore, we got to rehearse. That's what we're doing this morning. We're rehearsing the coronation. Why? Because one day we're going to actually be there and all the things you've done for Jesus, all the good things, all the big things, all the little things, all the hidden things, right? All the little things that nobody sees. That'll be a crown. And one day we're going to all throw the crowns at his feet and, and just praise him and go crazy with the thing. And by the way, if you don't think you're going to go crazy, I want to tell you, you will. The stuff I've laid out this morning in the last couple, last two months, that's only the stuff written down that we know about. There's all kinds of stuff that wasn't written down. Can you imagine when Jesus rolls back history and says, hey, here's what you thought it looked like. Let me roll it out for you. Here's what really happened behind the scenes. Whoa! Seriously? <laughs> what? Can you do that in church? Can you do that in heaven? I think we will. I think that's where it says we will break out in praise because we'll go, we had no clue. Oh my goodness. And we will practice the coronation of a king. When you practice the coronation of a king, you don't sit there on your hands. Okay? You burst out. You praise him. And so, that's what we're doing. We're practicing the coronating of him as a king. Here's the thing. We want to do it well. We want to get it right. So that when the actual event happens, we're ready. We want to be an awake church. We want to be an anticipating church. We want to be a grateful church. We want to be a church that's in the Word. We want to be a church that's in prayer. We want to be a church that's looking forward and saying, hey, it could be coming soon. And some would say, oh, you've been saying that for 2,000 years. Come on, for Pete's sake, it's just going to keep rolling on. No, 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 we're way closer. I know for a fact that I'm closer in my life than I was before. I remember, uh, you know, I'm, at my age of 58, there's, you can see the end, right? Come on, acknowledge that. Those of you my age, right? I remember when I turned 30 and I was at North Shore and, and Pastor Jan Heading was the pastor and he was my mentor and I walked in, just, it was my 30th birthday, so I walked in just all forlorn and glum and looking just sad and blue and he goes, oh, Mitch, what's wrong? I said, oh, dude, I said, I had a terrible night's sleep last night and I said, you know, I've turned 30 and I'm feeling old and you know how I said, you, you, you know, you're on a hill and, and it's not the end, but you can actually now see the other hill. He goes, oh, I can, yeah, I'm with you, Steve. Yeah, I got, mm, yeah, you know. And I said, you know, it was really bad, Jan. He goes, what? You were on the other hill. <laughs> <laughs> Threw a book at me. I had to go running out of the office. Oh, you dirty dog. But you know what? That's no longer true. I'm now on the other hill. Hey, I'm 58. And I'm looking at it and going, wow. And I'm thinking, how fast did the last 20 years go? And I'm thinking, whoop. Right? Kayla graduates this year. I'm, we pay on her just 20, 20 years. We celebrate 20 years. I'm like, how fast did that go? Man, that went in a blink of an eye. How fast the next 20 years? Probably going to go faster. When I was a kid, right? Remember when a day lasted forever? Let's go outside and play. Now five-year chunks are blowing by. Like, I'm, what happened? You know, I'm like, 214. Two, that's a sick year. Who designed that year? That's ridiculous. We should have never hit 214, right? And so... I'm finding that it's going faster and that history is going that way too. 
It's rolling out. Where we are, I don't know. How many more rehearsals will we have before this actually happens? I do not know, but we should be ready when it happens, don't you think? Doesn't that make sense? That it's not just words. It's not just going through the motions. It's not. It's being alive. It's being awake. It's being anticipating. It's being watching. It's being ready so that when he comes, we will not be like the foolish versions, but we will be like the wise versions. We knew you were coming. We were waiting. We're ready. Roll in, King Jesus. We're ready to do this gig. We've rehearsed. We got it down. I think that would be awesome. Let's pray. Father, we've come this morning, and as we said uh, It's a rehearsal, and it's not an absent one. It's one that uh, we have to be alive to. It's one that we have to be um, stirred up, which is good. Easter does that. But, Lord, it's also one that uh, we have to be grateful for what you did. That idea of our worst sin, how we bloodied you, how you carried that to the cross, and that your resurrection turned it white, as snow and Lord, that we can be cleansed, that we don't have to live, we don't have to think cursed anymore. That's a powerful, powerful idea that sometimes, Lord, we admit we forget. And we start living, we start acting, we start choosing like we're still cursed. And Satan keeps running those those tapes of people and situations and and stuff that sinned against us and labeled us and and we, we, we can't see past it, Lord, and we, we forget how great your salvation is, how washing, how cleansing, how freeing it is. And Lord, we ask that you would help us lean into that again, that we would be grateful again, all over, just fresh, brand new. Wow, you found us, that we are not orphaned, that we're adopted in your Son, and adoptions by nature are on purpose. Lord, that, that you've got a family sons and daughters and moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandparents and cousins and that there are people all over the world that we're going to have relationship with because of the family you've collected may that be bright lord as as we come to this last song it's a great worship song may you uh, sense our entering in and our uh, energizing into worship because we're singing to you and not to ourselves we pray this in your name. Amen.